Welcome to the British American Business Council Los Angeles podcast. The BABC LA is part of a vast transatlantic network celebrated across the US and UK for its important social and business connections. Each episode, you'll hear enlightening interviews with British and American experts across industries. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another live web event. I am James Langridge, the president of the British American Business Council here in Los Angeles. Today, we have a couple of wonderful guests, Denise Sheldon, Virgin Atlantic, Simon Hawkins, Virgin Atlantic, head of North America operations. If I got that wrong, I apologize, but you're going to have a second in to tell us a little bit more about yourself shortly and our one and only Jonathan Cowley. Good morning, Simon. How are you? Very good. Thank you. Thank you for the, uh, the opportunity to speak to you and uh, everyone else on the call. It's much appreciated on behalf of uh, Virgin and uh, our partner, our joint venture partner, Delta Airlines as well. Absolutely. Well, we're delighted to have you, Simon. It's been a rocky ride for many different people over the last, gosh, it feels like, well, it's definitely been over a year. In particular, travel and hospitality. We've done a number of updates over the last 12 months, and we are really lucky to have you here today. How has it been, just to kick it right off, how has it been for Virgin as a group? I mean, there's been a lot of challenges for everybody, but how have you adapted and come through this? Tell us a little bit more about that, if you could. So, Again, thank you to everyone. I think it's been quite the year. If we go back in time, you know, this really started actually the last time I was actually physically in the UK was in early February 2020. And at that time, we had a leadership meeting and we were going to temporarily cancel some of our Shanghai flights just because there was a virus there. We were concerned about transmission and obviously there'd been a significant drop in passenger volume to those markets. And then very, very quickly from there, as I'm sure it's impacted everyone in their lives and industries that they work in, we really started to see this snowball effect um, leading through to the cancellation of the whole of our network at one point. At one point, I think we weren't flying any operations for a maximum of nine days. So we got to quite a significant state. And you know, this was pre-me, pre-myself at Virgin Atlantic. People talk about 9-11 how challenging it was not to operate for a few days after the tragic events of 9-11. This has been unprecedented, but the word unprecedented, I think we used a lot in Q2, but in actually Q2 2020, going into Q3, the second half of 2020, unprecedented became the new normal in many senses of the word as well. So it's definitely been a very interesting time. Like every airline, we have gone through quite a torrid period. And at Virgin Atlantic, you know, there's no exception. We are a smaller airline relative to many of our competitors within the industry. We have 49% shareholding from Delta Airlines, who are obviously well known to everyone in the US and a very, very successful airline equity holder in us and partner to Virgin Atlantic. But we went through quite the period during, I would say, the summer of last year. What came out of the summer was what we called our resolvent capitalization which is where we have tirelessly worked with partners, creditors, shareholders to deliver about 1.2 billion in recapitalization to the airline to ensure that we can you know, navigate our way through this with some stability. I have to admit that many thought that this was impossible. We have sadly seen the industry impacted significantly. We've seen a number of airlines, a number of competitors go bankrupt during this period, which has been really challenging for the industry. You know, at Virgin Atlantic, we have emerged, we are emerging from this because we want to talk about the re-emergence as an airline 
that is 50% smaller in terms of the employee base that we have. So one in two people at Virgin Atlantic sadly lost their jobs through this period. We hope in the future that these people will come back and that, you know, as we start to expand again. So there was a huge amount of sacrifice, hard work during this period, but we're now in that position to rebuild, to rebuild our balance sheets and to rebuild our network and the customer confidence that we had built so hard during the previous years of our operation. And I think actually last week, we did release our results, our financial results for 2020. I don't think it's going to be any kind of surprise to anyone that it was obviously a very challenging year and we saw quite a deep loss. Yet, despite that incredibly tough backdrop, we did make a significant contribution in the UK and the US national effort to protect lives. We also had a record year from a cargo perspective. So I said previously, we didn't operate for nine days. When we started to resume what we said was our skeleton operation, and we've continued to operate LA, JFK, Atlanta, Miami, Boston, um, to the UK during this period, the majority of our revenue was actually being generated in cargo. Because as we were all staying at home, we were all ordering things online. There was increased demand for goods to be flown around the world on ships, but also flown and to get to that destination. So that's actually been a rare success story during the last year. And we've actually doubled our cargo revenue during that period. Do you expect that to continue, Simon? Do you think now as things are opening up a bit more, do you think that will be a sustainable number? So I think... I say jokingly internally at Virgin because I head up the US for Virgin. We have a cargo team, et cetera, et cetera. I joke that I don't want to be talking about cargo for much longer. The moment that happens is the moment I know that we've got passenger demand coming back on board. To give you a very vague idea, you would almost see traditionally, I would say in the industry, about a 25, 20 to 25 to 75 split. So 75 passenger revenue, 25 cargo revenue. And you can almost see the inverse during the last year. So we've really um, fought hard to secure the passenger volumes that are out there, but also driven our cargo business. On the cargo side as well, I think something that a term that I've used quite a lot in the last year is, um, and especially at Virgin Atlantic, because we are a small carrier, I think our strength has actually been in our size. So we've been able to, what I say, adapt, shift and succeed and really move fast. So with cargo, for example, Virgin Atlantic flights were popping up across the world. So we were flying to London to Milan, London to Chicago. We don't actually fly to Chicago and to a number of other destinations to take advantage of various cargo opportunities. And we could do that and move really uh, with real agility because of our size. The outcome, 49% increase in cargo revenue last year and the first three months of this year have also been really successful. That's incredible. So let's jump into a little bit about coming back because everyone is familiar with Virgin Atlantic. Almost everybody in LA, well, everyone in LA knows about Virgin Atlantic, that's for sure, because it's one of the great destinations when you're growing up in England or if you're in England and you want to go to LA, Virgin Atlantic is always the airline that people want to travel on. I don't know why. I do actually know why, because all about the experience from the moment you book the ticket to when you check in to when you get on the plane. No matter where you're sitting on the plane as well, it's a very enjoyable, fun experience. Tell us a little bit more about how's that changed? I'm sure it has. What can people expect now when, from the point of when they arrive at the airport? Because I know Heathrow, for example, has consolidated some of its terminals right now. The clubhouse, fantastic hangout spot, very, very fun. I think it used to be the cow shed that used to be there for all of your makeovers and massages and everything. 
That sounds great, actually, just even saying it out loud. I miss travel. What can people expect, Simon? And Denise, if you want to jump in, please, as well. So I think it's a good question. I think hopefully many people, and uh, look, I, I wear both my role, because Delta is a 49% shareholder of Virgin Atlantic. I actually sit here in Atlanta working within Delta as well, because we have a really close relationship as our joint venture as two carriers. And so I can see domestically, and I've flown domestically a few times, particularly recently on Delta, and seen the volume and the recovery in US domestic traffic and also the experiences on board, which I think Delta unanimously has really led domestically with middle seat blocking and bits and pieces like that. So at Virgin Atlantic, I think we very much have taken the approach to be aligned as much with Delta. That's in every facet of everything we do. We want it to be a streamlined customer experience. So if you're flying domestically on Delta, you're connecting onto Virgin Atlantic, it should be a seamless approach. And with that, with our onboard experience, we've certainly gone through some adjustments. And to your point, we have always prided ourselves on our product and service. The service has been key. The Virgin Atlantic people, we believe, set us apart from a number of other airlines who I'm sure people have flown on as well. And we would encourage you, if you haven't flown on Virgin, to fly on Virgin Atlantic. So last year, we did have to strip back some of this leading service that we have. But it's ironic that actually the service we continue to provide, we were actually voted Britain's only five-star airline by Apex last year for the fourth consecutive year. So we are still continuing to see really good customer feedback. And we've Congratulations. Also got, thank you. And we've also got diamond status with Apex as well for delivering kind of the highest standards, cleanliness, and really demonstrating a steadfast commitment to ensuring our customers and people can fly safe and fly well. So our program for cleanliness and to ensure that our customers are traveling as safely as possible is called Fly Safe, Fly Well. It's evolving, it's moving fast, it's shifting. And certainly as we start to see customers come back, we're excited for everyone to experience this. Going back to last year when we were seeing very low customer demand, we wanted to minimize contact we did pull back some of our services, some of our food and beverage services to ensure that that was in place. But we have slowly been rolling this back throughout this year. So we are now in a position where we are offering things like our business class, such as our upper class tea, and a lot of our other kind of the traditional stalwarts of what we had offered previously. You noted about London, you know, London Heathrow has obviously, as an airport, has obviously been impacted quite significantly from the pandemic. So Heathrow has actually consolidated into two terminals away from five terminals. So operating from terminal two and terminal five. So we've actually moved into terminal two. Makes a lot of sense. And there's some pillars that we need to get to for us to move back to our natural home at terminal three and our world-class clubhouse, which hopefully many people have been able to experience over the years. We are very excited to go back, but this is all very dependent upon the UK government and the US government and when the skies start to resume and when we start to get greater volumes of bookings on our services. So at the moment you would shift through, if you're leaving the UK, move through to terminal two and all of the right measures are in place, social distancing, there's you know, very consistent mask policies throughout, boarding the aircraft, we were also using social distancing measures as well. And then on board, obviously, I think a year and a half ago, I wouldn't have known much about air filtration systems but at Virgin Atlantic, we genuinely have the youngest fleet in the skies. We have seven new A350s, we have the 787s. Not only are they sustainable, but also with the newest technology on board. So actually the filtration systems 
and all the cleaning processes that we have on board will ensure that customers are safe and secure. And I would just say that the A350 is flying out of Los Angeles right now. For all of you flying out of Los Angeles, it's a wonderful aircraft that we brought into Los Angeles just prior to COVID last year. So you may not have been able to experience it, but it's got a wonderful uh, upper-class product with, of course, fully fly-flat seats that you control, a little bit different than what you might be accustomed to on Virgin with the way the seat works and privacy screens, plus a much larger IFE. And then on the meal service and on the actual onboard experience, as Simon was saying, we're really getting back to pre-COVID levels. So you get that welcome drink when you come on, you get the Eric Lanyard high tea throughout all the cabins. Uh, you have a plated meal service in upper class. So it's getting back to that same feel that you had before, which I think everybody's ready for that again. But initially we did want to limit the interaction and that was a safety feature. And now I think we can get to the point where travel should get back to how it felt before, right? Oh, that's great, Denise. I'm, I'm really glad you shared that. The A350, I think everyone was super excited last year to kind of really get on board of that thing, literally. And then obviously everything changed slightly, but that's okay because we're here right now. So thank you for sharing that. If you're listening, good morning and welcome. You're listening to the ABC LA Live podcast. We have our wonderful guests, Simon Hawkins and Denise Sheldon here today from Virgin Atlantic, North America and Delta. Thank you very much. And we have our esteemed board member, Jonathan Cowley from Cornish Travel. If you're listening, if you have a question, go to the bottom of the screen. There's a Q&A button. Press the button. Write in a question. We'll either have you answer it live or I will ask it for you. In fact, before we go any further, we have Raj here who's asked a couple of great questions. I'm not sure if you guys can see them. But the first question, I think we answered it, but I'm just going to recap Raj and his family's taking a trip to London in July, and they are on Virgin Atlantic. Excellent choice. London to LA in upper class. Wanted to find out if by July, the clubhouse and wing will be reopened and operational. Do we have any sense on availability of that, Simon? Firstly, Raj, thank you for your business. It is truly appreciated at Virgin Atlantic. So everything to restart normal operations and our world-class wing and clubhouse we need to move from Terminal 2 back to our home at Terminal 3. This is entirely dependent upon how the UK starts to open. And obviously with the Biden administration, how the Biden administration welcomes UK customers over to the US. We had in our roadmap by the 17th of May, which is when the UK is due to open, we would coincide that with moving back to Terminal 3. But there is still uh, some questions around will the UK assign the green traffic light status to the US, which is something I can talk about in more detail. They were due to do that this week or due to announce which countries would be part of that. If that does take place, then I think we will be moving back into our Terminal 3 home by the beginning of June is where we currently sit. But we're entirely dependent upon government decisions on this side and the other side of the Atlantic. Well, that's a great update. Thank you, Simon. I mean, we are all waiting, I know, just to see where we go with this. We're getting a lot of questions about fully vaccinated traveling and quarantine and so on and so forth. Actually, I had a question, though, in relation to Raj, Simon. If people are traveling business or upper class, is there an alternative business lounge? Can they use the Delta lounge when they're traveling? A couple of other quick questions before we jump back into it. And Jonathan, feel free to jump in here just from the whole travel thing yourself. 
Lance is asking a question. Is there an indication of when the UK government may announce changing quarantine requirement for visiting? It sounds like that that might be uh, this week. So we're all waiting on that one, Lance. And Tim Clackett, another fellow BABC board member, good morning. Do you think the UK government will allow fully vaccinated US visitors into the UK without quarantine? They are traveling on June 10th. Anyone want to field that? I can feel that because we're working so closely with the governments on this side and the other side of the Atlantic. So we're on this journey, I would say, from the UK, where going back to February the 22nd, the UK announced the phased reopening. And I'm sure many of you have UK relatives and various colleagues and co-workers in the UK who are under a very strict lockdown for quite a long period of time. The UK is moving through the phases, but as part of that announcement on February the 22nd, they announced the creation of a global travel task force, of which Virgin Atlantic, and quite rare, we partnered a lot with British Airways during this process, EasyJet and Heathrow, we're part of that process. So what has been announced, was announced through that period, is the earliest international travel could resume to and from the UK. So this is separating any entry of Brits into the US. That would be from the 17th of May. Now, we're on the 5th of May right now. We're fast approaching that. Everything from a metrics perspective with the virus suggests that international travel will restart on the 17th. But what they've stipulated is that this will be based on a traffic light system. So countries will be assigned a red, amber or green status. So actually, what will change is the addition of green. Right now, the US is essentially amber, where you have to have a test before, you have to have a test on day two, You have to have a test on day eight and quarantine during that period. And I don't know, there might be many of you out there, but I've had co-workers and friends who have flown from the US to the UK during this period, and they have been called at home to make sure that they are in their place that they've put on their locator form. So it's very restrictive right now. The hope and how what we have been lobbying along with British Airways is to open up the US firstly as a green country. Under green, You still have to test before, there is no quarantine, and on day two, you need to get another PCR test. Both of the tests you have to do are PCR. They are expensive to conduct. The British government wants them so it can kind of track the virus. It thinks it's a much more accurate way of tracking and understanding the virus, which is fair enough. But what we are now focused on, in addition to pushing the US into a green status to at least reduce some of the restrictions is also to ensure that if you have been vaccinated, you can move pre-COVID type levels. I think that is still a way to go. I still think we've got some lobbying and I think the British government are still in a state where they're being very, very conservative on the resumption of travel and some of the restrictions that are in place. So the announcement on the traffic light and the designation of countries is actually due we believe, at the end of this week, failing that early next week. Thank you very much, Simon. Jonathan, I know you had a couple of questions about travel in general and Virgin Atlantic. Well, I'll ask the question for him. Jonathan Heatsman, good morning. Virgin, you guys opened up a route, seasonal route, from LA to Manchester, and it was very popular. Any ideas? Is that reopening? Can we expect to see that back? Tell us a little bit more about that, because I think we have quite a lot of interest. Yeah, sure. So we, prior to COVID, we had a real focus on Manchester and creating Manchester as more of a hub. And we had, you know, a lot of lift going not only to LA, but we had Boston, JFK, Orlando, Vegas, 
in addition to some Caribbean services as well. The intention is to bring back these services. And Manchester, LA, correctly, was a really popular market, not only from the UK point of sale, but from the US point of sale. As things stand, we are still looking to relaunch in the mid-summer. So look out for it around July time. But again, I think, you know, not only Virgin Atlantic, but every airline is really impacted on, again, government regulations, when and how things start to reopen. You know, we're tentative that we will be relaunching to all of our US gateways by the middle of the summer, is what I would say. So yes, have confidence that Manchester LA is coming back. That's amazing. I know that your CEO, Shay Weiss, I know that they're part of the task force and they were reporting directly to the Prime Minister on travel updates. I guess I'd love to hear a little bit more about that, but I'd also like to know, maybe this is obvious, but when you've got your Delta hat on and your Virgin hat on, are you seeing just a massive increase in domestic travel in the US? And is, it, is international travel a little bit behind it or is it way behind it? What are we going to see? Is it going to be more of a heavy promotion on staying domestic and local, and then maybe dip your toe and go international. I mean, when you have both hats, you're trying to promote everything. But just tell us a little bit about some of those discussions and Shay Weiss and what they're hearing. Yeah, I think so. As I said previously, I think from the domestic perspective, and I think a lot of airlines in the last couple of weeks did publish their Q1 earnings. And there was, uh, I would say, increased optimism on, especially driven by domestic travel. There's a lot of people flying around the spring bake periods of Florida and some of those other destinations. And when you look forward into the summer, domestically, some of the real classic destinations that I think a lot of people visited last year, some of the more open air, the Wyomings of the world are really, really popular. And actually, Alaska seems to be seriously popular for this summer as well. People want their space domestically. I think in general, what you'll see from the industry is, and I'll get to the UK shortly, is the traveler that we need to come back to ensure longer-term profitability is the business traveler, the corporate traveler. And we know that is going to be a slow return. The, our industry body, IATA, you know, has publicly stated this is going to be a two- to three-year program for that business traveler to come back, whether it's domestic, but actually longer-term for the international-type traveler. So that's the customer that we are all kind of razor-focused on. We're working with a lot of these companies. So in LA, for example, it's the entertainment and production companies. We want to make sure that uh, we're clear and we're supporting each other, supporting the entertainment and production companies on when they can safely resume entertainment and production in the UK and what we can do to support that, whether it's from health and safety or cabin buyouts, anything we can do to support that traffic. I think what's really fascinating about the UK, and I say this a lot, is first and foremost, the UK traditionally, when I say traditionally up to 2019, has always been the third largest international market from the US. So that is behind the trans-border, the, the Canada and the Mexico type traffic. The UK is a seriously important large market from the US point of sale. And you know, that's why you can see the likes of ourselves, British Airways, Delta, United, and maybe JetBlue coming to the UK soon, um, really fighting it out um, to secure and win the, win the customer. So I think the return of the US to UK could be quite challenging in one sense, because actually 50% of this US to UK market is business travel. So when you link back to what I said at the start, we are definitely going to see a very slow return of that corporate traveler. That is a concern, but it's also during the good times, it's, uh, it's obviously also a source of comfort and profitability for us. So I think it's going to be a long 
return for the US customer to the UK. I think when you look immediately and the stuff that we've been doing with the task force, we are very clear with, with our industry competitors and with Heathrow Airport, the US and the UK does need to open up. The UK, and I'm sure many of you are seeing, is in a really, really strong position when it comes to things like vaccinations. I think effective on Monday, the UK hit 50 million vaccinations administered. And I think over 52% of people have actually been administered at least the first vaccine. So I think my job recently has actually been to promote the UK as a destination from the US and the fact that we are in, as a Brit, we're in much better shape than a lot of other countries and to maybe not lump us into Europe, which um, recently was actually going in reverse into some lockdowns as well. The UK is in a much better shape. So we as Virgin Atlantic have been working with industry partners on how this can open. The task force is listening to us. You know, first and foremost is the safety of our customers and our people. But we also see the US and UK being two growing and vaccinated countries where the virus seems to be reducing at quite a significant rate and that you should be able to have safe travel between the two countries. And I would just say, just to tag on to what Simon's saying is, for sure, we need corporate to come back. We're seeing small pockets of corporate, maybe smaller businesses that are a little bit more willing to travel right now versus the large corporations. As Simon said, entertainment and production, we're already starting to see movement on entertainment and production. But what we really are starting to see is a lot of high-end leisure. So a lot of high-end leisure is really starting to look at where, you know, I've got some expendable income. I'm really, you know, been locked up for a year, not going anywhere. So where can I go? And we really think that the UK is a perfect spot for them to go to because of that vaccination rate and that status between the two countries is a lot more open than you might see with some other countries. So we're really taking a, a close look at that leisure segment of business to see what can we do to work with leisure companies as well. In the last two to three weeks, to Denise's point, we're definitely starting to see a leisure component start to come back. Dare I say it's the green shoots. But actually what we've done also on the Delta side is I've looked at some countries that have stated we are opening this summer. So a really good example is Greece and Iceland have both stated they will open to US customers vaccinated, which is fantastic. And you've seen all of a sudden this pent up demand come back. So there is absolutely a lot of appetite to fly to Europe. And we believe if the UK can announce a safe opening, a green status through the government with the US, I think we're in line to see a really good recovery with certain customer segments. Well, that's wonderful. Leisure travel is huge. From now and maybe going forwards, for group travel in leisure as well, historically, sometimes people buy out a section of seating. How are you adapting to that? If, if someone is coming to you just from a safety concern and they want to say, okay, we've got 10 folks traveling in first class who want a particular section of the plane, or if it's a smaller plane, they could have the whole area. Is that something available? Are you seeing more requests like that? How do you accommodate those things? And also, one other question is, if it's a decline in business class, are you even looking to reconfigure the entire plane so you could incorporate more economy travelers? I guess you've probably looked at everything. Can you give us a sense of what's going on in that kind of area? Denise, do you want to answer about the group one? Sure, of course, yes. So we are doing things such as cabin buyouts, and we've had a couple over the last few months where we've had people who have 
purchased the upper class cabin. You can also purchase the coach cabin and it is actually more economical than doing a full charter. So that's certainly something that can be done. We also are doing row buyouts. So if anybody wanted to buy out an entire row, that's also possible. Again, an economical way of going. If you want that feeling of safety and feel like that works for your company, then that is something we can certainly accommodate. I would say we're probably more nimble and able to respond to any kind of request than we've ever been. It's pretty amazing where we've come as a company and what we're able to do with just limited resources. We're able to answer those kinds of one-off customized requests really with ease. So um, if you have anything like that, yeah, send it our way. We're absolutely able to accommodate. Excellent. Jonathan, as a travel agent, when you're meeting people and booking people, tell us about the experience of getting people from who are coming to you and what you're talking to them about and getting them physically onto the Virgin Atlantic or Delta. And, and then what kind of requests are you getting? Well, I think the big challenge for us is what Simon and Denise have been saying is right now we're all waiting with anticipation for an announcement by the UK government. And It's not saying that we are not booking people going to the UK. In fact, we have been booking passengers on Virgin, both from the US and coming back from the UK as well. But that is generally for individuals who are dual citizens because they have a US passport and a UK passport, which means that they are immune, probably the wrong phrase, but immune to the rules with regard to this restriction, not being able to fly direct from London to the US. So A big part of the booking process is now very much sort of digging deep, even before the booking is made. What is their status? Are you British? Are you on a visa? Do you have a green card? And even down to individuals who are flying back from the UK who are parents of US citizens. There is a lot of misunderstanding. But right now, if you are a parent of a US citizen who is under 21 and unmarried, you can fly back to the US. That's what the rules state. But I think a big part of it, James, is very much about trying to understand what the individual's circumstances are. And I think that's why, a little bit of a plug, but that's where travel management companies are actually adding value now, because you can't just go and book online and hope that, well, maybe I'll be allowed to travel. You need to know definitively before you make that booking. And the key thing for us is that customers there's a lot of good forums out there there's a lot of information out there and a little plug for brits in la i'm constantly on brits in la answering questions and everybody's trying to help each other out but there's a lot of misinformation out there so it's important to go to the airline go to the travel management company we can help we're here to help thank you jonathan appreciate you jumping in there and Jonathan and I have had a number of travel updates over the last 12 months. And Jonathan, it's always a pleasure whenever we can get you on here. We do appreciate you a lot. Quickly, can I just yeah. very quickly, just to put things into perspective, I know Simon was talking a little bit about the domestic travel there. But just to put it into perspective for some of our listeners today, uh, yesterday, the passenger numbers going through U.S. airports was 1,134,000. Now, if you compare that to 2020, uh, the numbers were 130,000. So basically, we are 868% over last year. And it's actually 53%, which is very encouraging, but 53% of the numbers in 2019. So it's definitely moving in the right direction. But just to put it in perspective, people are traveling. People domestically are traveling in droves. Thank goodness. 
It's great that we're getting back out there. A couple of extra questions from the audience here, and we do have a great announcement as well. We're going to get there in a minute. Sadiq, another fellow board member of the British American Business Council. Sadiq, I'm glad you're here today. Great question. Travelers have reservations about international travel because of the fear of getting stuck on either side of the pond if numbers spike. That's a great question. How can we address some of those concerns? I'm going to ask, I would love everyone to jump on that, but Simon, do you want to just jump on that one first of all? Um, well, I think, is it getting stuck in terms of from flight cancellations or is this down to health? I, I guess it's a fair, I'm not sure. Let's assume that there's a spike in cases and then the border shuts. What are our options? So I think number one, and we've actually, from a Virgin Atlantic perspective, we just updated our policy, permanently eliminated change fees. And so we can continue to provide a lot of flexibility to our customers moving forward. I think in addition to that, you know, we are working very closely with the governments. I think that's probably come out quite clearly in the last 35 minutes or so um, as we're continuing to partner with the government. And so I think the government in most cases between the, in the UK has, it does give some sort of lead time if there were to be a cancellation or a change in status between flying from one country to another as well. So I think the two answers to that is around continuing to partner with governments and also the flexibility piece that we continue to provide for our customers beyond COVID and back to kind of business as usual life as well. So it will allow you to be able to move and push around if you do have to change your plans. Thank you, Simon. Jonathan, you've rescued a few travelers dotted all over the globe, especially in the beginning. Tell us a couple of stories about how you rescued a few people and got them back uh, to U.S. soil. The, the biggest challenge with, for us was to convince them to leave. So one of our, our sort of big business streams is universities and colleges. And at the start of the pandemic, we had a lot of students who were actually in China. And the timing was not great because it was actually holidays in China. And so one of the rules that these universities uh, have put in place is that during those holidays, you can leave China. So a lot of the students were all over Asia. And so we had to very quickly identify where they were and then try and rebook them to come back. But at that stage, when the pandemic was a new thing and we heard there were a couple of cases, I think, in Washington state, uh, you know, but those will be gone before the end of the week. People didn't want to rush back. And so slowly flights started, capacity started being reduced. And the biggest issue was when the administration at the time started placing restrictions on inbound travel. And initially, the biggest challenge was that people coming back from these restricted countries had to fly into specific airports. And so we had to make sure that they were flying into airports where the CDC was positioned. And I think initially they were just doing temperature checks, uh, making sure that everybody was uh, okay. But it was uh, initially, it was just the fact that the uh, rules and regulations were changing consistently, which I know both Simon and Denise will agree, that's still the case. Things are changing almost on a daily basis. And as we manage, obviously, travel globally, it's tough to keep up with it. But there are lots of online resources available whereby you can actually check what the rules and regulations are. It gives you a very basic, it comes from a system called Timatic or Tomatic, and it can give you sort of a basic information as to whether or not you are allowed to travel to this country or not. But initially, yes, we were scrambling. But I have to say, and this is a plug, not just to Virgin Atlantic, but airlines in general, 
airlines have been very, very supportive, flexible. They've gone above and beyond, literally. I mean, the fact that waiving change fees, allowing you to have a full credit for the value of your ticket. And also, you know, the airlines are doing the right thing. If they cancel the flight, then they do the right thing. So I would say that we are in a period where there's a bit of a transition because things are changing. And so I think we all have to understand that the flexibility that we had before, it's going to change, you know, and I think we all need to be realistic. I'm very realistic about it. So just be prepared that the waiving of every fee that was out there, the airlines have got to make money. You want them to keep flying, so they need to make money. So we are anticipating that these flexible rules are going to change. I'm not saying they're going to stop, but they have to change in order for airlines to be profitable. I guess it's just a reminder that travel itself is such a luxury. Well, for business, maybe not, but just actually leisure travel that we can now get on a plane and go somewhere again. It's just such a great feeling. So I think people will be receptive to it and time will tell. We've got another question here. Tim Clackett, we're going to answer this and then I want two more minutes of you guys and then we're going to make a nice announcement. Tim Clackett, this is a hard one to answer, but it's just some thoughts. Simon, we've got discussions with the folks in your management group. We're hearing more and more about vaccine passports and being able to travel when you're vaccinated and that. Is there any possibility that that's going to become a real thing? Are we going to have to have some kind of vaccination passport to travel? What are you hearing? Have you heard anything? Or is it pie in the sky at the moment? So I think, I don't think it's pie in the sky. It's definitely, if you look to some places like Israel, it definitely uh, feels a bit more real. I think with regards to where Virgin is and where Delta is, we actually have, um, we don't call it a, a vaccine passport, a kind of a travel pass is what we're calling it at the moment. But we have, right now, we're trialing for the US to the UK, a, it's an app called Trust Azure. So that allows you to input all of your information, whether you've been vaccinated, PCR tests, et cetera, et cetera. And it kind of passes you or credits you, and then you can go to check in. And literally, it's like a green card on your phone that you can show, which is authorized. So we are trialing stuff actively like that. The industry body known as IATA has also been trialing the IATA travel pass. We are actively taking part in that. And I can't say that's a Virgin Atlantic only. Most airlines are taking part in that. Our view, as I've said, is that we believe in a world where if you've been vaccinated, then we should have some form of documentation, whether it's Trust Azure or the IATA Travel Pass, that means you can move around as freely and as safely as possible. I don't think it's pie in the sky. I think this is more about, should we say, government regulation and interpretation and freedom than maybe kind of airlines and our willingness to move forward with this. Oh, that's fair enough. So I'm going to ask this last question because I know it's something that's very dear to your heart, Simon. Sustainability. It's a big initiative for many different people. It's become more and more prevalent in the airline industry. Just the mere fact that you have the youngest fleet in operation is a, is a nod towards the fact that you are very conscious of this, which is fantastic. Give us a minute snapshot of what we can see going forwards from Delta and Virgin as a group. Look, I think on the sustainability side, this is something that we've had to focus on for some years. When you look at the industry as a whole, we contribute around 2% of carbon emissions globally, which is, you know, it's pretty significant. And we certainly as an industry acknowledge that. I think from a Virgin Atlantic perspective, it's obviously very important to us. Um, 
you know, we have a significant role to play in our focus, in the world focus to get to net zero. So we are the founding members of the Net Zero Council in the UK, and we've also been working to make biofuel commercially viable and sustainable. And we were actually one of the first airlines to trial biofuel from waste. We want to make that into an actual permanent production, and we are excited to kind of continue along that process. When you look at our aircraft, that is obviously the majority of carbon emissions that are produced from an airline. And over the last 10 years, through the modernization of fleet, we've actually seen a 20% reduction in emissions per seat flown on Virgin Atlantic, which is pretty significant. And then actually, there's been huge negatives to COVID. But something that has been potentially positive on the Virgin Atlantic side is we did have a few older aircraft, not many within our fleet, 747s, which I think, you know, have always been viewed as quite an amazing aircraft from an industry perspective, but also they are gas guzzling. So we actually retired those in our A340-600. So on top of the 20%, last year, by cutting the fleet and continuing to take orders of the new A350s, we saw a further 10% reduction as well in the carbon emissions per seat. So pretty significant steps that we're taking. And Look, we've gone through some tough financial times, but we have more new aircraft coming in, and these are going to provide another 10 to 15% of efficiency. So some exciting times coming in from a fleet perspective. And, you know, that's not where we stop. We have a focus on plastics, fully recyclable plastics on board. A year and a half ago, we actually stopped serving beef on board, which I think is, it's a small gesture, but I think it does show our commitment to the environment. And then things like the introduction of fully recyclable amenity kits which are on board a standard that we've had in place for about 18 months now. So I think it's a combination of all of those, looking at renewable energy, continued modernization of the fleet, which obviously reduces emissions, but also is a great customer proposition. And then ensuring that we're efficient on board as well. And we've already taken a number of steps to ensure that. Oh, that's incredible. Thanks for that, Simon. And thank you for answering all of our questions today. Uh, we have a couple more, but... Selfishly, I was a massive fan of the 747 when you used to have it in operation. I don't know if it was the fact that you're just walking upstairs. That was just so cool. Loved it. Without further ado, we, I said we've got an announcement today. And I honestly, it gives me such great pleasure to say this for so many different reasons. June 24th, we're going to have our first live in-person, believe it or not, in-person the ABC event, and we are joining up with our folks here at Virgin Atlantic. Can you believe it? And it's going to be at the Four Seasons on Dahini. Our esteemed friend, Michael Newcomb, who's the general manager there. It's going to be an outdoor open-air event. More details to follow. They'll be coming real soon. Our host will be Virgin Atlantic, and it will be an evening event, cocktails and appetizers, and more information to follow. But I just wanted everyone who's listening in today to hear it first. We are absolutely delighted to be doing something with you guys. So yeah, thank super, you for that, Simon and Denise. Super excited to do something that feels like we're back again and sort of a, oh. sort of a you know, London's open, Virgin's ready to take you there kind of thing. So um, we're really excited to join you on that. Well, we are delighted to have you. And now, just as a closing thing that I ask all of our guests that we have on here, and Simon, I'm going to pitch this to you first, but then Denise as well. And Jonathan, if you have some thoughts, I'd always love to hear from you. You know, it has been incredibly 
testing at times over the last 12 months and people now there is a light at the end of the tunnel. We are the light at the end of the tunnel, maybe. Who knows? Simon, when someone asks, if I was to ask you for a message of a positive kind of message on where you think things are going and what people can really hold on to right now, what would you tell them? Wow, that's a, that's a good question. I think we always call it IRL in real life. We are slowly but surely returning to some sense of in real life. Um, and as an airline, we're super, super proud to still be here. We've gone through some pretty tough times, but actually I think it's actually built us into a stronger organization and we're ready to welcome all of you back on board and we're excited moving forward. I absolutely love that. Denise, would you like to add anything? Yeah, I would just say that we've been doing these Zoom meetings for a year, um, all of us in, in different various formats. And, and while they've been great, I think we're all ready to get back into in-person and seeing people up close and personal. And I think it's business is done in person. The way you'd get business done is face-to-face. -face. The way you interact with people is face-to-face. -face. So I myself plan on going to the UK at Christmas time. I want to go to Kew Gardens. I want to do the whole lights. So I'm, I'm excited to plan a trip around Christmas. And uh, I think we should all start traveling again. I I'm ready. As soon as we get that green light, I I'm on there. I'm right there with you. That sounds like a lot of fun. Kew Gardens, gosh, that is a great place. I haven't been there for years. Jonathan, bring us home. So a slightly longer acronym than Simon's, IBTBT. It's better to be there. And that's the bottom line. It is better to be there. We've all done our Zoom calls, etc. My missus, she's a Scot. So she's a little more restricted because currently the regulations to get back into Scotland are a little bit tighter uh, than England. But we are, as a travel agency, seeing droves of passengers traveling, especially to places like Mexico, the Caribbean, South America. We are seeing some destinations that are opening up. A number of European countries, Greece, Italy, they want to welcome Americans back. So we definitely are seeing a positive trend. Obviously, all of us on this call want it to be the UK. Uh, we want to get back to the UK and the US so that we don't have to go into quarantine, all of us who've been vaccinated. But I think the key thing is patience. We all have to be patient. We've waited this long. I think it's worth waiting a little bit longer, but things are going to get better and we'll all be sharing a beer in a pub in London in the very near future. So that's to look forward to. But one last thing, James, just very quickly, I have to plug Virgin Atlantic's Impossible Burger in their LA lounge. <laughs> I'm sorry, you mentioned you don't serve beef anymore. Well, I'm telling you now, I've only had an Impossible Burger once, and it was in Virgin Atlantic's lounge at LAX, and it was incredible. And then I thought, oh, I'll just go and sleep on the plane. And then I ate all the food on the plane as well. <laughs> I'm going to blame that on COVID. But I just have to say the burger was amazing. And also I flew on the 787, which obviously isn't the newest aircraft for Virgin Atlantic, but still a beautiful aeroplane, very quiet, large, big windows. And then coming home, I just again have to tell you a little bit about the wing. For those of you who think, is it worth paying a little bit more to go in upper class? Absolutely. Upper class is a whole new level of experience. And it is, you know, if you want to have a good night's sleep, that's the only way to go. And then when you come back, you go via the wing so you can be driven up literally to the check-in desk. Jump out of your car, go to the check-in desk, and then you go through to the lounge, which, well, all I can say is there's never enough time 
for the lounge. You need to allow literally <laughs> a day. I think if you could get there the night before, then That's you can so get true. the lounge. So, so thank you again, Virgin. You know, you're a great partner. We love you and we wish you all the success and we know we'll get back there soon. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Jonathan. If you don't want to travel now, you never will. I just want to get in the car and get to the airport and go anywhere. It's just such a great feeling. I guess really just my take on it is we've survived all of our hardest days, no matter what they've been, because we're here right now, and the best is yet to come. And it sounds like we're all going to be getting on an aeroplane real soon going somewhere. Simon, thank you so much on behalf of the British American Business Council. Thank you, and thank you, Denise, for being here today. Thank you, Jonathan, as well. For those of you who are listening, you've been listening to another British American Business uh, Council Los Angeles live podcast. The recording will go out shortly, as will the details on the event for June 24th at the Four Seasons in Los Angeles, 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. More to follow. Thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you soon. Thanks, James. Thanks, Jonathan. Thank you, Thanks, the ABC. Everybody. Cheers.